All right. Well, I'm excited to be here. I'm here every week, but I'm excited to be speaking and sharing with y'all today. Um, it's been a it's been a long year. It's been a good season, and it's ending, and we're transitioning into another one. So I'm more than happy to share some thoughts and uh, lessons and encouragement along the way as we're about to step into something new. Let me. I apologize for my slides. I had a like a way cooler looking background on here. It's like a very black honeycomb mesh, and then it's not showing up on the walls very well. So you can still see the font, sort of. I was a little bummed out about that this morning. We are. Um, let's talk about a little bit where we've been past couple of weeks, months. Where we are, where we're about to go. We're switching gears pretty quickly. Uh, we have been growing. We've had new people come. We've had some of us um, sent out, like Taylor, like Matt. Uh, Jennifer's going to Dallas, which is a very bittersweet thing. It's good for her because she's not, she's a little more permanent than previous times, right? But we're going to miss her, but she's happy to go as well. Uh, and it's been a year finding our places in ministry. I told Jeremy I was going to pick on him a little bit because. He made me, I got double laughter out of him. I, I laughed on, on Sunday when I heard him, and then I laughed on Tuesday when I heard the podcast again. And he, he said almost verbatim my quote. He's like, I, I like my kids. Wait, I, I mean, I love my kids. And then he said, it, but other people's kids are kids as a group. <laughs> I didn't really like so much. But lo and behold, God has worked in his life, and he and Jen are overseeing our children's ministry. And so he... They have found a place in ministry that maybe he didn't assume, you know, five years ago, ten years ago, he would, he would be in. I don't know. Did you assume that? He did not. So it's been a good year. Um, and where are we going? You know, I mean, that's just one example. We, we, it's fall season, so football is in gear every Friday, Saturday, Thursday, sometimes another day of the week. Uh, all kinds of other activities are in. School is back in. If your business revolves around Christmas, you know, that's gearing up. Uh, but as far as community life goes, our community groups are back in full swing after summer break. Um, we are hosting prayer worship nights, roughly I'd say about once a month we've started. There are opportunities, such as the ones Otto was sharing this morning, like Vineyard 101, for, for growth, for growth in leadership. And then there's the big, big, big one, which is, our commitment to planting five churches in the next decade, um, which it's funny being now almost 27 and I'm starting the year, I'm starting to think in terms of, of decades, of chunks of years as opposed to like, I don't know, next week, <laughs> right? <laughs> which was, you know, a couple of years ago I was just thinking, what am I going to do next week? And now I'm thinking, what am I going to be doing when I'm 37? It's pretty cool. Um, and so, in, in thinking about this, before we jump into this, meaning this morning and this next season, because we're, we're in it for a long haul here together, which is good, let's, let's remember some things, and I'm glad Blanca mentioned this during worship. Let's remember who we were when Jesus found us. Who were you maybe the first time? I mean, I remember being five or six and who I was then when Jesus found me in Sunday school. I also remember being... 12, 13, when I started kind of feeling God's presence for the first time. And then I remember 15, when 
oof, God really finally tracked me down, and I stopped uh, fighting him. How were you? <sighs> oh, man, I remember how I was. That's why I'm laughing. I remember the um, very immoral-minded, intended high schooler that I was. Where were you? You know, what part of the world? Were you in a house meeting? Were you in a church? Did God meet you in your street? Did he appear in your room one day? You know, that you just felt something. There have been people that I've known that just said, God visited me. You know, uh, what were those early days like? Following him. What were those, those first genuine Christian friendships like? And what kinds of great things were you sharing about the faith? So as we think about that, and as we think about who we are individually as people, as family units, and, and as a greater whole vineyard, and then beyond that as a, the church, a part of the church in New Braunfels, um, I wanted to tap into the stream that we're already in and, and just have God encourage us for how to go forward. I found, I think, a parallel that would work, and I'm not bringing an indictment or an accusation. I think it's just an accurate parallel that we can take some warnings from because I've heard once that life is too short even to learn from your own mistakes. You should probably learn from other people's. It's a lot better that way. Um, I also heard, I think Jen and, and Jeremy, you guys, it was probably all, is Jen around here? Is she back there? I'm looking for her. She said that, that she prayed, she started, I think, praying a prayer that a friend of hers said, you know, Lord, may my children learn really big lessons from really small mistakes. Which I thought that was brilliant. So, we're going to take a little trip into a brief overview of a few chapters in Acts that I'm not going to read, but I've had a lot of bullet points. And then over to Revelation for a bit, and I'll, I'll navigate, we'll navigate through this, because uh, nav- Revelation can be tricky, so I'm not going to come out with any super crazy ideas that are super questionable. Uh, some things are solid truth, some things are theories, and I will do my best to differentiate between the two. If we go to first century, all right, I'm good on time. Yes. Okay, sorry, side note, since I am saving some time, practicing this at home, I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be like 90 minutes, but I'm good. And that's not coffee, because then it would be like 10 seconds long. Um, when we're in Acts, we're in chapter 18. Paul is traveling around. He's in Corinth for a bit. He, there's a, a mandate for Jews to have to leave the city of Rome. And so in that kind of uh, discrimination, you could call it, uh, Paul meets up with Aquila and Priscilla, a, a couple that are believers. And he ends up leaving them in Ephesus. Um, they end up, they're all tent makers, so they work together doing the gospel. They're all building tents. I thought it was a really cool thing. It was like, they're both kind of stranded, met each other. Um, so they leave him there. Aquila and Priscilla meet Apollos. And Apollos has led some people to believe in Jesus, but they have not heard of the Holy Spirit yet. They've just been baptized into the idea of repenting from your sins and putting your faith. And so then it says that Aquila and Priscilla show him the way of God more accurately. They introduce him to the fact that the, we can also be baptized by God's Spirit. Paul comes back eventually after doing some other stuff, and he finds disciples at Ephesus. He's discipling them for two years. All kinds of cool stuff starts happening. Uh, everything from lots of healing 
and powerful stuff going on. This is the chapter that talks about the handkerchiefs that even just would touch Paul. They would take those to people and people were getting healed and off the shadow and just, that's bizarre, but great. Um, Then there's even an episode where some guys who don't really operate in true faith authority or something's wrong try to cast this demon out of a guy invoking the name of Jesus. And the demon's like, I know who Jesus is, and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? And that demon ends up beating the daylights out of these seven sons of, of a high priest. And it says that they run out wounded and, and naked into the street. <laughs> How bad. But because of this, because of this demonic presence acknowledging the name of Christ, eventually all these things, it leads to, it says in Acts, all of Asia hears about what's going on. So you have a very powerful beginning. Ephesus is a huge city. If it's not the biggest city, it's second or third biggest at the time. From what I read, it was anywhere from 400 to 500,000 in population, which is huge for first century. Okay? Very famous library. I forgot the name, but you can find it on Wikipedia. Uh, there's a big temple to the goddess Artemis. Uh, there's a big idol um, industry here. And this is where you have a booming church plant that is an influential church plant in this entire region of what is now Turkey. Okay, so up here, the part about Demetrius and Artemis, there's this conflict where Demetrius is a guy who sells idols, and he says, I mean, if this keeps going on, this Paul telling people that this idol's not real and there's only one God, we're losing money. So there's this big uproar, and through the grace of God, at least in that situation, no one seemed to, to die, and they, you know, there's, they're navigating these kinds of conflicts, and I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, and there's a final charge to the Ephesian elders by Paul. Because he knows it's the last time he's going to see him. He says, I'm going on in Jerusalem. I know that a lot of tough times await me. So make sure that you watch out because there's going to come this time where there are going to be men like wolves, even from among your own ranks, who will try to pull people away from this and after themselves and distract the church. Okay? So we fast forward to Revelation. And this is an interesting letter. Um, because if, if we stopped, if I stopped reading before the part that says, I have this against you, I would think everything's great, honestly. Just because of how I can be task-oriented and not, sometimes not very relational. So to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and those are symbolic of, of messengers, angels over each congregation, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Lampstands are churches. Remember Jesus called us lights. He said that you don't light a lamp and hide it, but you put it up on a lampstand so you can see. Okay, so that's how God sees us. He sees us as a light. And he, he doesn't have a problem with referring to us as I'm lifting up your light that it can be seen and people can come to me. So it says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you can't tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and you've endured for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you've fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I'm coming to you, and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear 
But the Spirit says of the churches, to him who overcomes, I'll grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. A definite mouthful. So, first thing, check out God's way of approaching us. Good things first, right? It's a good way of approaching other people. If you ever have to talk about a sensitive matter, tell them what they're doing well. They will really appreciate it. And I, I appreciate that about, about God. Um, if we go on, you know, let's go back to remembering. Uh, who we were when Jesus found us. Okay, so We're going back to Ephesus. We're fast-forwarding a couple of years. Some of these things that Paul warned about, I think, happened. And so they, they've done a good job, from what I can tell Paul's warnings in the beginning and what John is writing to the church later on. They probably did deal with these wolves who came in and tried to teach all kinds of crazy. And they, I mean, how do you even start that process? Okay, of, of finding out false apostles. Like, is there like a form you can fill online, you know? Like, call in here if you think you have found a false apostle, and we will investigate them. You know, I, I mean, it's an interesting thing. Um, I'm, not, I'm not recommending that we all start doing that, that we just go false apostle hunting. But, but there are some things to, uh, if we go to the next slide, you know, what's, what's wrong? Because we look at this list. They're hardworking. They have a good record. They're persistent. They are enduring. They are exposing false apostles. And they're hating the way of this group called the Nicolaitans, which, depending on whose research you read, the basic idea is that they're destroying people or, or conquering uh, people in some kind of a way, okay, and, and, and subduing them and suppressing them. How do, you, how do you start this process, you know, of, of addressing a church that's hardworking, has a good record, persistent, enduring, has a good grasp on the truth to be able to apologetically win, you know, like this year's Apologetic Awards. This is what essentially like how I compare it. You know, like you have won the prize of apologetics. Good for you. But what could this communicate to us? We are taking a step as a church to be kind of a... I'm going to use a Star Trek reference if that's okay. Can I do that? Raise your hand if you're not ashamed that you like Star Trek. Anybody? Okay, I got th- four people. All right. So, everyone knows that watches Star Trek that the Enterprise is a flagship, okay, of the Federation, all right? They are exemplary. They are diplomatic. They are sent to the neutral zone with the Romulans every time there's some kind of conflict, all right? They're not necessarily the, the most powerful vessel, okay, but that's the deal. When we make a choice, well, when Scott makes a choice and we follow Scott, uh, to plant ten churches in the next, five churches in the next ten years, we are regionally becoming a, a flagship type of church, if that makes sense. If this is your mission, should you choose to accept it? And if we succeed by 2012, 2013, sorry, 23, 2023, oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, 20, yeah, I'm going to be 37 years old. And you know, side note, Paul, uh, Paul Scott talked about, you know, when he is chilling out in the back, pinching Susan and holding babies, I guess. Benji, you should get married, and so should I, and so should Angie, because if no one else has babies, all these babies aren't, aren't going to be holdable anymore. Uh, they're going to be pretty big. So I guess, I guess that means it's up to us. If we want to fulfill Scott's dream of, I want to hand off this church, hang out with Susan, and hold babies, and okay, there's the challenge. 
in addition to church planting, we have to plant families. Uh, but back to that. Side notes are fun. Come on. We, we will become a church that has planted others. In San Marcos, in northeast San Antonio, in north central San Antonio, maybe, maybe Austin, maybe another country. Um, and at that point, we will be pioneering church for 10 years. Um, but that's not God's greatest, 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 greatest item on His agenda for us. And half of this message will partly go to those who can struggle in this area like me. And the, the others who will hear this message and benefit from it are the ones who are very good at keeping a relational connection with God to balance out people like me. Because I get a list done, and I'm like, that's it. I'm doing this list. And I forget about people, and I forget to call my mom, and you know, forget to hang out with my sister, and I don't eat, you know, and I just... Their lack of, of love, their love grown cold, meant a potential loss of being an influential church. Because God never says, I'm going to extinguish your flame if you don't come back to your first love. He said, I will remove your lampstand from its place or its position. You know, you are this certain church. You have a certain position as being where the gospel started in this part of the world. And if you don't keep your priorities where they need to be, especially in your relationship with me, you might lose that role. You might lose that place. So what does God desire the most out of us? And going to the next point is, what will define us in 10 years? Because it is going to be great if we are the church that you know, did what it set out to do and we, we learned to live in, in greater sense of community and we learned to sacrifice and we learned to give and we learned these kinds of things. You know, and there are five more churches reaching unreached people and hurt people in our area. But if, if we're not a group of people in 10 years that because of the busyness maybe or whatever reasons are identified as they are always trying to be in their first love with me, you know, then, then, then God is, I mean, I'm, I'm betting that he's going to want to overhaul that and correct us and say, it's great that you guys did all this stuff. I mean, he, he did praise the Ephesian church, but you guys lost me along the way somewhere. This would be like me, when I, when I was 15, uh, and obviously a lot more self-centered, because that's what you are at 15, and I'm probably... I, not probably, I am self-centered still in many ways, which is, uh, God help me, you know, all of us I think are a bit. I was a lot more obsessed with the idea of how long I could hold on to a girlfriend relationship for some kind of personal mile marker reason. It wasn't even about the girl. <laughs> and you know, like, I think she knew. Because... It was one of those, like, her friend broke up for her with me over the phone kind of <laughs> things. You know, I don't think she even had the heart to be like, dude, you don't even really like me that much. You just want to be in a relationship and be able to say, I've been in a relationship for six months. You know? <laughs> right? So dumb. It lasted three weeks. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. It was like the sappiest night of my high school career. I was listening to, I still even remember the soundtrack of the certain movie and this song that I put on repeat over and over and over and over and over again. 
No, it wasn't the Breakfast Club. It was actually the faculty. And I can't remember what song it was, but I remember it was that soundtrack. It was so stupid. But the whole point is, I was so obsessed with just with, with my goal. You know, I want to have a girlfriend for a long time. I, I, I don't know why. It was a misplaced and misguided ambition. Sometimes, super task-oriented people can, can care more about my purpose in the kingdom than God Himself. That God can become a means to an end instead of everything. It happens to me. And God really revealed it to me this summer. And for a while, I could understand like the verbal concept of it, but it hadn't reached my heart. And I, thankfully, I was reading some good books, which is like making new friends. And I was talking to some, you know, some guys around here about that, and they kind of helped me do that. And then God in His Spirit you know, really helped me to get a grasp on the fact that loving God, knowing God, was more important. And I didn't have to be afraid of making that central in order to, to still be a very active and productive person. But, you know, we, I mentioned this, this verse in Hebrews because Jeremy mentioned it last week and, and we've been talking about it recently since we were in Hebrews. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You know, and it goes on to say, you know, we shouldn't forsake our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Love comes first, and then the good deeds, right? Why would you do good deeds if you don't have love? I have this uh, wine bottle in my room, and I don't remember why I did this, but when it was finished, there was this leaf that I found outside, and I put the leaf in the mouth of the bottle and then put a cork in, and that was over a year ago, and the leaf is still green. It's crispy, but it's still green. I don't know if the alcohol air preserved the leaf somehow. Point is, though, it's not growing anymore. You know, it's, it looks like it might be alive. This leaf could be like, yeah, I'm still here, man. I resisted. I'm still green. But it's not living. And it's because it's not actually alive anymore. And when we lose our first love, we, we lose sight of drawing from that source of God. And he's more concerned with us being alive and knowing him than doing stuff. That's a secondary thing. So what if... More than we could imagine, we were engulfed by love and compassion. What if the next decade, more than anything, defined us as a people who are solely known for how much we love God, for how much and how easy and frequently we can say, Lord, I feel like even in the last day, I don't love you as much as I did yesterday, and I need you to help me with that. You know, depending on grace, I don't want you to create this legalistic, I must love God thing, and you end up going crazy. But... What if, what if that, and I'm not saying we're not that right now, I'm just saying we're going to get busier this next 10 years. Um, and in that, what if we were known for that above anything else? These people are so in tune with God's love. These people are so in tune with loving each other. And these people, more than any other encouragement that they give each other is how to love God. What if we became just obsessed with loving God even more? and obsessed with helping others love God. We wouldn't go wrong. You can't overdose on that. You cannot overdose on the love of God. You cannot overdose on wisdom. There are certain things that you can't overdose on. You can be too busy in a week. You can be doing too many community groups, and your family never sees you. You can, be, uh, you can volunteer too much, I think, and wear yourself out and get sick. And I mean, I've done it. I've seen people do it. 
but you can't overdose on God's love. And so, it, it, is this thing of serving God and being productive, or loving God and putting that first, does it have to be a tension, or does it have to be a cycle? Because we, if you're like me, sometimes you get stuck in either-or mode, and you don't realize that things are like a nice circle that just keeps recycling over and over again. And I think even God gives us that pattern in nature. You know, as some things are dying, others are living, and it's not either-or, but dying things in the forest, in the grass, feed living things, and vice versa. And so, we love because He first loved us. It's a cyclical thing. You know, it starts at one point. We've got other examples of this. Jeremiah, I, I like this verse. I never actually read it on my own, but found it in a, in a book of worship that talked about how worship has to overflow and flow out into justice. And this is uh, Jeremiah writing about Josiah because his son had started being corrupt and using Israelites to just build himself a really nice house. And the Lord's talking about his father, and he's saying he gave justice and help to the poor and needy, and everything went well for him. Isn't that what it means to know me? So we can't separate doing good from knowing God. They're not separable things. But there is an order. There is a point where it starts. We have uh, you know, stuff to check out this week, later on today, when, when we're helping each other love God more. John 15 and John 17 you know, the whole chapter, John 15, is basically an idea of learning how to make your home in Jesus, make your home in His words, and have Him make your home in you. And then out of that flows obedience. Out of that flows being productive. And then this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ who you sent. It's a, you, know, you could say it's simplistic, but how great is it of God to just simplify what life is. You know, it's to know Him. What is life? To not. And I've served God forgetting to know Him at times. I've led worship forgetting to know Him. Uh, matter of fact, it wasn't too long ago. It was uh, like 2006, and, and a guy who really taught me a lot about leading worship, after I, I was done at, with a church service, he said, dude, know the Lord, man. And I was so offended. As a, How old was I? I was 21, 22. I was like, how dare he tell me I don't, I don't know the Lord, you know? And it wasn't that I didn't know the Lord, but he, was, he knew something, and I didn't get it until recently. He was like, you're going to get frustrated if you're trying to serve and you don't know him. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> so upset. But he was right, and all of a sudden later, you know, Ryan's words come in my mind. Oh, God, there are times where I haven't even tried knowing you. I've just been... Working, 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 grinding away. Being so obsessed with my position in the kingdom and my role and losing sight of the fact that you're my dad and, and that means more to you than anything. So what is first love? I'm not going to define this because I, I don't think it might be a one-size-fits-all thing. I, I tried to, but I decided not instead. Um, I'll share a personal experience. For a while, when I would read this verse, this Revelation 2 account, and try to get back to the first love, you know, I would immediately read this whole, do the deeds you did it first thing, and, and return to you first love, and remember how high you've fallen. And so I'd immediately go to, 
uh, well, does that just mean reading my Bible a lot all the time? And, you know, like, what does it mean? And it actually, God showed me, he's like, you know, your first love was when you knew me experientially, like Blanca was talking about. It was when all of a sudden, as a teenager, you felt God for the first time. And I'm not saying that we should be chasing a feeling, but it wasn't about this academic, rigorous morning activity that most of the time I didn't do anyway, you know. It's, we have to seek God. We've got to talk to our Heavenly Father and say, Lord, you know, if, if I'm off a bit from first love, what was that for me? Because that could be different for everybody. There could be a certain kind of lifestyle or activity or time or et cetera that you had when you really first came and were fresh in the Lord that maybe we don't do anymore. Let's talk with each other. What is this first love thing? You know, it could be different depending on every couple too because not every couple's the same and not every couple went on the same first date and not every couple had the first embarrassing moment that was the same and not every, you know, all these things that, that amount to the inside jokes that bind us to people. And, and if we're confused on this, God can clarify it, you know. And so in this, as we step into a busier season, let love reign. I mean, really, really let it rain. Um, if we can get that slide up. Because we can't go wrong in that. There's a, there's a, there are certain guarantees God gives us. There are others that we are not given. But the idea of abiding in His love or the words, precious, priceless words of Jesus, He's giving us a safety net of abide in me. Live in my words. Live in my voice. Let my voice and my words live in you. And out of that comes joy. Out of that comes productivity. Out of that comes being fruitful, but we're going to find a different value of ourselves when we just realize God's love as opposed to purpose. Because here's the thing, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I used to define, even three weeks ago, even though I didn't think I did, truth is I did, I, I defined, instead of that John 17, 3 verse, you know, that life is knowing God, I defined life as, life as being like, like a spiritual Rambo. <laughs> You know, and, and life is planting a bazillion churches, and life is planting uh, all kinds of things. And you know, my shadow is raising dead people and dead puppies, and you know, like all kinds of crazy things. Like some girl's horse died, and I prayed for it, and it came back to life. And that's life. You know, life is just being amazing always. And it it turned into like a workaholic thing. You know, like life wasn't just looking at a like a field of flowers or some trees or listening to birds. It was like I always had to be hunting a demon or, you know what I mean? Just always, 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 always. And, and so it turns into, if life is your purpose and the apparent glory of how awesome you are in comparison to others, then it turns into this egotistical thing, or it can. And if we are defined by how awesome we think we are because we planted five churches in a decade, we could end up looking down on churches that didn't plant churches in a decade. And all kinds of mess that's not good. Not everyone has a tendency. I do, which is why I think I can share this with y'all. Um, but if love reigns, if our value comes from the fact that we never deserved or earned love, but we're given love, and that we love God because we were first given it, and we're not trying to earn God's love by loving Him, that's different. 
that completely changes our mindset. It changes how we see him, how we see ourselves, how we see other people. And so um, let's let that transform us. And if you're there, stay there. And if you know how to live that out, and if you are really good, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not being sarcastic here. I mean, if you really are just good relationally with, with our Father, then, you know, help some of us out that, that aren't. Help the ones out that get task-oriented and sidetracked. Um, and remember, it's God's grace. You know, he speaks to us out of his love to remind us of these things. So let's, let's pray. Let's stand up together. Um, Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you're honest with us. You're not a, a, a God who's a coward. You're not a God who's weak. You're not a God who's mean-spirited. You're a Father that, that um, teaches us and, and warns us. Your, your Proverbs are all about saving us trouble as opposed to letting us experience it. And I thank you, Lord, that, that I want to make clear again, I don't think you're indicting us. I wasn't trying to do that at all. But I thank you that you warn us and that in your words, you've given us examples of, of what's good, of what's bad, of how to avoid it. And I just ask, Lord, in this next season, as we do become more involved with each other, with each other's lives, with the, the lives of people in this city, and even in surrounding cities in these, this next decade, maybe even uh, nations and other states, that our increase of activity and involvement would come because we are living in our first love. And Holy Spirit, we need you to reveal that to us. We don't want to fall into some danger of, of creating a list of what those first days were like and trying to mimic um, some kind of religious ritual. We want to live in the spirit of what is your first love with you. And so, Lord, keep us from being people that, that lose altitude in our flight, so to speak. Help us to be flying high in that place. Um, and I thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. I pray that, that something would engulf us in this season and just surround us, that we, are, that we fight for each other, that we fight to say, I'm going to fight to be a member of this community, a family member that is constantly battling so that myself and my brothers and sisters are always just in that prime sweet spot of love for God and love for other people. We love because you loved us first, and that means we love you and we love each other. So I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you um, want prayer, want to pray for people, we can go ahead and do that as we do it. You know, every Sunday, just letting the kingdom of God move among us. So let's do that, um, you know, in our usual places. And uh, feel free, anything, financial stuff, uh, illnesses, family things, you know, let's, let's just support each other. Thank you, guys.